Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus this is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where it is our offense review. The Seahawks played offense in 2022, as happened. Geno Smith won Comeback Player of the Year. However, the offense did dwindle as the season went on. We're going to explore the data as to why that happened and also just talk around the topics. Griff, how disappointed were you after the great start? How surprised were you after the, the great start? Is this sustainable? These are all things we'll answer, but just an overview. Um, yeah, cause it became, it became the new normal was when Gino, when they were you know on fire scoring points, you know, the first really 13 weeks of the season with some hiccups here and there. And then when the last five weeks occurred, yeah, it was, it was disappointing. It was like, Oh no, what happened? Was it all of it? Was all of it real? Was all of it fake? You know? Um, I mean, I never thought it was. I thought it was real. I thought the rest was just circumstantial, contextual, and we'll, we'll unpack all that. Um, and then, but what reassured me, because I would have held that opinion no matter what happened in that wildcard game, but it was reassuring to kind of end on a high note from Gino, where he kind of looked like the Gino of the first 13 games of the season, you know, uh, ripping passes, really accurate. He was a good decision maker, all that stuff. For the most part, managed the pocket well. Um, but, um, 
Yeah, I was going to say something that I totally forgot what it was. Uh, but you, but I, you believe, basically you believe it was real, even though it's disappointing how it ended and the, the sort of high note game, even with the the fumble in the wildcard round, that, yeah. that high note game was sort of an encouragement. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was good to end that way. But there was another point I was going to make, which I totally spaced on. Um, the future, but yeah, perhaps? The, perhaps the future. We can always talk about the future. Um, yeah, it's just good to know that, like, I think that this is – they have their quarterback. They have the, the structure of their offense. Like, this whole year to me was kind of like a, a proof of concept um, kind of season. And – and the rest was just like the offensive line play. Like, forget about quarterback play, just the offensive line. Like, no offense was going to be good for the full course of the season with how what the offensive line like crumbled into pretty much. Like, because it did crumble, but it wasn't permanent. It was more just like rookies reaching their limit. Um, and then, you know, injuries on the interior and stuff, like just all. And then, and then the Blythe's weaknesses kind of being highlighted more as things crumbled around him as well. Like that was kind of like a negative feedback loop there. It's like, okay, that's the limit of the offense. Um, you know, with the exception of the best improvisers in the world at quarterback, you know, they weren't going to be able to survive that. But part of it is trying to remember that like, you know, there were no expectations this year. So the fact that they had came away by having identified their future slash immediate future quarterback you know, and then they've got real pieces on offense. Um, like I see more capacity for growth than regression. So they just have so many things going for them. Yeah. So that's how, uh, that's how I view all of it. But what, what about you? How, what, what are your general impressions from the season offensively? Yeah, they, they match yours. And you, obviously we're going to dive deeper into this. That is what this podcast is. But in the main, there was, Cases of Gino pressing a bit too much and trying to make too much happen on, on plays which weren't there. But his process was largely the same. Like it wasn't like he was, suddenly wasn't trying, you know, or seeing things correctly or trying throws which weren't there or taking bad sacks or, you know, running himself into pressure or, or not playing within the structure of the offense. Like, he tried to play the same brand of quarterback that he played throughout the season, albeit with some moments of overpressing. The problems were, you know, he wasn't let, he was wasn't helped by his supporting cast in in various areas. But um, yeah, so a broad statistical overview which you've you've put together. So you've put season long stats. Seattle finished thirteenth in EPA per play, sixteenth in success rate. 11th in EPA per dropback, 5th in dropback success rate, 19th in EPA per rush, and 32nd in rush success rate. Wow. That is a remarkable number. Um, I didn't realize it was that bad. The okay. success rate, yeah. Yeah. So, first of all, why is the rush success rate so bad? I What, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, that, that just kind of tells you right off the bat that their they're down-to-down ability to run the ball is just shitty. Like the, the block is terrible. It's it's bad. Like the block, a combination of the blocking wasn't there, and and Walker was not a great in between the tackles runner. Not because of like a lack of aggression or a lack of a 
you know, ability to be physical and stuff, but it was essentially decision-making, um, you know, so something he got better at as the year went on. And like, you can tell he's going to be really good in that department because everything about his, you know, skill set and traits lend itself toward, you know, being really good at that. Like, like it's really hard to be better than Chris Carson was like gone inside zone where the, where the, the decision-making has to occur so quickly because that wash is coming so fast. You don't have time to set up your back, you know, your cut back or anything you kind of have to get up field immediately and feel out the tiny creases, you know, and be ready for contact and get the most out of it as you can. Like that's something like Walker was trying to dance too much, essentially. Um, yeah. Carson was so good at squaring up and just going. Right. Right. So like, that's something he'll need to get better at, but he did get better at it. But then on top of that, there wasn't a lot of interior push, which is, uh, you know, too bad considering you know how good they were at that to end 2021 and then how promising they looked in preseason and then just none of it none of it translated yeah so we'll we'll talk a bit more about the offensive line but in terms of statistics you griff have you've separated us uh seattle's numbers from weeks one to 13 and then weeks 14 to 18 now, I presume you've done that because weeks one to thirteen is pretty good, other than the rushing numbers, and then weeks fourteen to eighteen is really bad. Are there is there an, another reason for that? Or yeah, that's just when general play deteriorated, and then also you know that's when the injuries started to stack up as well. Right, right, and and if you remember, Seattle, uh, the week fourteen game was the Carolina loss at home, and. So let, let's let's break that down. So weeks one to thirteen, Seattle was sixth in EPA per play, fifth in success rate, sixth in EPA per dropback, first in success rate, seventeenth in EPA per rush, thirtieth in rush success rate. Um, then weeks fourteen to eighteen, they were twenty fifth in EPA per play, twenty fifth in success rate, twenty sixth in EPA per dropback, nineteenth in success rate, seventeenth in EPA per rush, and twenty eighth in rush success rate. So obviously a clear clear decline. So we've, we've, addressed, we've addressed the rushing stuff, and obviously first injury to talk about is that Rashad Penny, he did get injured in week five, then got IR'd. I think the run game looked up and down with Penny still, which so they did struggle to get pushed. We were talking about cohesion in the early part of the season, but that cohesion never really was found um, up front. Yeah. Um, I get uh, Yeah, let's talk about the offensive line. So in terms of... Uh, one metric that exists for run block, uh, run blocking is ESPN's team run block win rate. According to ESPN, Seattle only placed 24th in the league in that at 71%. The best was 77% in the Baltimore Ravens. So that's quite a close number together. But none of Seattle's players um, placed in the individual top 10s other than Damian Lewis, who was 68% in run block win rate, which was fourth best in the NFL. Landon Dickerson of the Eagles won that with an 80% run block win rate. So, and Lewis was the one guy who you, you in particular, Griff, sig uh, singled out as being impressive in run blocking displacement. But the rest was a lot of uh, trying to trying to get movement, not really doing it. Blythe is, is not the strongest center. He's by no means 
the weakest. Like he's not a complete uh, aberration in that area. But then when you combine that with the fact that another injury situation, Gabe Jackson uh, isn't able to play most most of the games. Um, you have the fact that Jackson played 100% of the snaps in the first five weeks of the season and also in week 18. But from week 6 to 17, he played less than 70% of the snaps. And that was 60% or less of the snaps in nine of those 10 weeks. So he wasn't playing often. And Phil Haynes came in during those moments that Jackson had to rest. And he's obviously his 2019 fourth-round pick. He's turned 28 years old in October. He's kind of a backup level player. And, you know, he had his ups and downs. But, and then on, to, on top of that as well, and we'll talk about this in pass protection, Abraham Lucas, Charles Cross, they're just go, go, going through uh, rookie growing pains. Like Cross was fine for what he was asked to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably say Lucas started well and kind of as the season progressed regressed in his run blocking yeah uh, was got a bit banged up as well missed week 17 uh and stone forsyth came in i think lucas had an elbow injury so yeah the the offensive yeah. line i think a combination of maybe a slight talent issue but also injuries and um inexperience and everything in the run blocking department yeah. I feel I feel like I feel like Lucas has the play strength and he has the like the, the the meanness to him to be good at run blocking. Like he had some like highlight level run blocks this year, right? But obviously the, the consistency wasn't there, the floor wasn't there. I feel like it's just kind of you know, he needs more time in the scheme and then it's just a rookie needs to go from year one to year two, you know. Right, like his um, big thing I think is like is how how do you block uh, like a stud defensive end out who's playing wide on you? Mm-hmm. I think that was yeah. the main thing. Yeah, like I think he has the flexibility to get low to get under guys because obviously when you're that tall, that's a natural disadvantage when you're trying to run block. Um, but like you know when he when leverage isn't a problem when he's like comboing on the on the backside like a three technique or even a four eye he'll send a guy flying every once in a while. So it just goes to show that once he kind of cleans up the stuff that he needs to clean up, um, like he'll be able to dig out like four techniques and stuff like that and, and reliably stay leveraged on five techniques, you know, on zone away, you know, um, uh, th- things like that. Because um, um, obviously like zo- like the, the backside of zone is a lot more important for the tackle than the front side of zone, especially how they block it. Um, the front side of zone is still important, obviously, but you know, you're trying to get like that wash. So the, the cutback is as vertical as possible um, for the, for the, uh, for the running back. So um, yeah, like that will come in time. That said to, to kind of circle back to Walker, some of Walker's cutbacks this year, the way, the way, how aggressive his, how aggressively bent his angles are, are insane. Like his ability to cut some of those back and, and still get like, you know, maintain his speed are just incredible. Yeah. Um, and crazy, crazy I, runs. And really, the, the in the rushing game, I think P. Carroll was very aware of that being a problem for them. And uh, we'll, we'll focus a lot on Geno Smith, but the fact that, you know, they started trying to really get the run game going because they weren't running it to the, the level that they wanted to, like frequency-wise, but 
that all stems from being able to do it effectively enough to justify, you know, doing it a lot. Like, uh, and it's kind of a chicken or the egg before the egg thing, like that kind of yeah dilemma of, you know, are you, you know, how much do you have to run to actually get good at it? Like, at what point does it become diminishing returns because it's so inefficient? Uh, but in that Kansas City game, they really did start going for it and the Fortune Islands game as well. Uh, and and Walker did kind of solve some of his issues, but still raw. Uh, so, the, so the second year of him is an exciting thing. And yeah. obviously, if Penny returns, that is up in the air. I think you know Seattle probably likes what he brings when he's healthy. It's just can he stay healthy? That's a question mark. Right. I can't uh, imagine he'll have a market. You know, no, which no. unfortunate for unfortunate, him. But... Very unfortunate. Yeah. So kind of encompassing the run the run game i hadn't realized the success rate was that bad but uh so that's that's interesting uh now encompassing this is third down numbers now Pete carroll always speaks about third down numbers is as in you want to be kind of over the 50 percent mark now in that the first 12 games of the season so weeks one to 13 in six of 12 games, Seattle was 50% or better in third down conversion rate. Uh, they converted, out of all the third downs they faced, they converted 43%. So they still had down games. Like mm-hmm. week two, they were two of seven. Uh, week five, they went one of nine. Uh, week eight, they went three of 13. Um, week 11, one of nine. Week 12, or week 13, sorry, three of nine. So they still had down games, but overall 43%, and they had six games where they're 50% or better of the 12. Weeks 14 to 18, Seattle went, from those five games, Seattle had zero games where they were 50% or better in third down conversion rate. Um, They converted, out of all the third downs they faced, only 30.2% of them. So they lost sort of... uh, 13 percent um and that really showed up in in the run game uh the run game is part of that problem i you know i should have looked up how the distance of third downs changed because it felt like they were in worse more clear pass uh downs Mm -hmm. and distances um so when you look at the fact that gino is as a you know the passing offense the overall offense suffered I, I think, you know, obviously that is then reflected in third downs. Um, and if you don't convert third downs, then you have less opportunities. Um, and they just they just stop converting third downs. Yeah, yeah. Now, Gino Griff, what, like his regression, I, I was trying to explore why it happened. So, you know, teams ran slightly. I, I wondered if maybe... It was a cover one, cover three, middle field closed issue because Gino was mm. worse against that. So in that one weeks one to thirteen stretch where um, the offense was doing really well, uh, especially passing the football and just overall efficiency wise, Gino was still just twenty second in points earned per play versus middle field closed. Whereas against uh, cover two, cover four, and cover six zone, he was fourth in points earned per play. Um, that was very similar in um, in the weeks 14 to 18 stretch. He was 20th in points and per play versus cover one and cover three, and fourth in points and per play versus cover two, cover four, and cover six. So, and he actually faced slightly less 
middle field closed coverage in that stretch. So that's not the reason for his struggle. It mm. wasn't a play action or non-play action deal either. So why why the regression? Do, do you put it all on the pass protection? Because that's one thing, right? So I so I think the answer for like, okay, why are the numbers are what they are? Why do the numbers fall? When, when I say this or when I've said it on Twitter, people think I'm making excuses for Genome. To me, it's the opposite. I feel like we get we got valuable information about the the spectrum or the 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 the, the floor and the ceiling with Gino was clearly defined this game uh, or the, this past season. So, like like to me, it's just information. Like I, I think that Gino was remarkably consistent in his process and what he could control um, throughout the whole year, and like the rest was just a reflection of like how like what 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 was the potential of the offense um of of like the potential of the offense then was determined by like the play going on around him and he was going to essentially get the most out of what was available but then also reveal how lackluster things are around him if things are lackluster around him at the same time so like yeah so so the his statistical regression it's the he loses his pass catchers tyler lockett isn't 100% 100% healthy even in games he's suiting up like that's reflected by like like they didn't play him very many snaps some of them they didn't throw the ball to him a lot wasn't getting open you know they lose Marquis Goodwin they lose Will Disley like those things add up um and then the blocking kind of plummets for a lot of those games um yeah on, on, on the injuries uh Goodwin he missed week nine against the Arizona Cardinals was limited week 10 in Munich he was playing through banged up knee injury uh, battled a hand and wrist injury. He then re-injured that wrist and also dislocated his shoulder in Kansas City. So missed week 17, 18, and then the wildcard game. Yeah. Lockett broke his finger in week 15, so missed week 16. And then Will Disley landed on IR with a foot injury, missing week 17, 18 in the wildcard game. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I don't think his play intrinsically struggled. So... Or rather, I don't think he got he became intrinsically worse. So like the the first 49ers game, if that game occurred in that last third of the season or whatever, the last five, six weeks of the season, no one would have batted an eye, right? The only reason why that game occurred was because they played a team that they were greatly outmatched by. And he had a good game before that week and he had a good game after that week. So really I feel like that that stretch of the toward the season is just purely coincidental that all those games happen to occur like one after the other. And even then that said, like you can watch the tape against the Jets. Like he was good against the Jets. He was, he was good against the Chiefs. Um, Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. 
With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. But like, there's only so much that you can execute there. The games that really concern you, at least concern me, like that Panthers game, because I thought the protection played well that game, of that stretch, fairly well anyway. Enough to where if Gino was on his stuff, he would have been a lot better. But like for the most part, that game in particular, I didn't even see like bad process. Like with the exception of him getting risky with that, you know, he thought he had a free play interception, like that was bad. But that was just more like the ball was dying on him. And that was a concern. Like, is his arm strength waning over the course of a season? Is it well, and he was dealing with the he had a he was shoulder. dealing with a yeah. shoulder injury, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, he was on the injury report. So that as a potential explanation makes sense given that the following weeks you didn't see the ball die as it did in that game. Right, right. Agreed. And then the other game that, that concerned me was uh was the um the, the Rams game because that was, you know, things around him were good enough that the second Rams game were good enough. And he was just making like bad decisions. So like that's a that's just a game where I'm like, okay, bad quarterback play. Um, but yeah. then the other the other games in that stretch, like we said, like the Jets game, the Chiefs game, even the that second 49ers game. Uh, to me, that's like, yeah, there were some bad plays cropping up. But when he like like the turnover worthy throws, there's an uptick of that. And even like that Raiders game, which I don't include in the sample, like the last five weeks, I thought he was good in the Raiders game. But the the influx of of turnover worthy plays that occurred and stuff. Most of them are happening. Those turnover worthy throws are happening like out of structure. And so he was finding himself out of structure more often. And that was purely a direct correlation with, or a direct, um, that directly followed from the protection around him breaking down or the downfield picture breaking down because the receiver talent isn't there. So to me, the answer is, well, is Gino going to throw a bunch of interceptions next year? My only answer is, is the protection going to be bad again? Now, that's not a defense of Gino. That's me saying there's a talent ceiling there. You can take you can take other quarterback. There might be some quarterbacks that will be able to still push the ball and execute with that level of protection, but there's very few of them. But at the same time, though, you're, the flip side of that my statement is, well, if Gino's only as good as his supporting cast, then what does that say about Gino? I mean, I don't, I don't agree with that that statement either, though, because as you incre- as you improve the supporting cast around him, there can be diminishing returns from your quarterback. I feel if you give Gino elite protection, for example, for the sake of discussion, if you give him elite protection, he'll get everything out of that elite protection. Whereas the next quarterback may not; they might leave stuff on the table. I don't think Gino will, but if you give Gino protection that dips below a certain threshold of functional functional functionality is that a word yeah that, that dips below then he may not be able to give you anything whereas maybe the next quarterback could but then that same quarterback may not be able to get everything out of elite protection that Gino could so to me there are trade-offs at skill set um my view is you know basically like the proposition for the 2023 Seahawks offense is w- what is our like we have, you know, we have what it could be, which is the, that first 13 weeks, right? And then we have what it also could be, like in the other direction, the last five or six weeks. As far as what we can expect for 2023, that question really is just a function of what does the offensive line play look like for the full course of the season? Then everything else will follow because in the good games and the bad games this year, I thought Gino was rock solid, consistent, 
like in terms of the good and bad, like what was innate to the quarterback play and everything else just followed from what was going on around him. So again, like that, at that first 49ers game happened in the, the, you know, the latter third of the season, it would have fit right in there. If, if one of those, if that chiefs game occurred in the earlier part of the season, it would have been the exact same thing, even in the middle of that hot streak that he had. So I feel like everything that we saw was real. Like none of it was fake. All of it was real. And the rest is circumstantial as far as not projecting Gino, but like projecting the offense. Cause it's a team sport, you know? Yeah. So, so on the protection, what I found interesting was sports info solutions had in the weeks one to 13 period, they had uh, Gino at a, uh, a 12th in pressure percentage. And then in weeks 14 to 18, that was still 12th in pressure percentage. So their pressure numbers didn't show pressure on Gino uh, rising. However, in ESPN's uh, team pass block win rate metric, just before week 13, Seattle was tied for fifth best in the NFL in that metric. But they finished the season eighth, so they dipped down a bit uh, during that kind of period. And I think it is more what you're sort of saying, Griff, is it's, uh, it's circumstantial. It, it reflects the what was going on around you know it reflects um right certain things which th- th- these metrics aren't uh including like right. bad situations um and, and yeah and it, it has it does prove what gino is which is like a, a a pocket navigator who um yeah he's not gonna he's not gonna reliably extend plays um and like schematically during that the good stretch he was not having his hand held schematically he was not he was not being he was catered to in some senses like hey this is what you're good at go do what you're good at but like it was the offense saying like we want to get stuff out of you not we need to protect you right right like it's five step seven step dropbacks like like even during um even during the uh that latter third of the season when things are kind of getting out of control there were drives where they had to like they kind of turtled up schematically a little bit like it kind of reinforced itself you know like in a bad way there were some drives where it was like do or die like we have to go score now and so they would open up the offense to go well we hope we hope the five yeah. protection can live up like they're getting into seven step drop concepts so like a five step drop from gun and his numbers and seven step drops over that that last five six weeks five six weeks of the season was still top five in the league and that's like pure quarterbacking that's you know, now is some of it garbage time. I mean, maybe, but, but like his numbers in the fourth quarter, for example, in non garbage time, even during the last third of the season was still like eighth or something. So, I mean, he was, he was still, he was still playing quarterback during that stretch. Um, so like I hear the other thing, like the first 13 weeks of the season, his, his EPA numbers on non play action passes and also removing quick game was like first in the league or like his EPA was third then his success rate was first. I mean, he was, it was pure quarterbacking and, and we'll get into this more, but there, there are components to the offense that Waldron didn't install that I think he wants to, and that we're going to see more um, of uh, next year uh, that will, you know, depend on uh receiver skill set makeup slash tight end. But, yeah. yeah, and I think throughout the season we did see like a kind of 
a schematic dilemma between like how often do you want to leave the tackles exposed like how often do you want to try and give the tackles help and them actually coming out and saying you know we don't want to we want to try and limit the amount of one-on-ones they have out there because they're rookies and they're kind of learning on the job and they're playing against like say a Nick Bosa um and it's stuff that in the second year of those tackles you'd hope that you don't have to do as often like you obviously mm. scheme matchups but you don't have to be as cautious you, you need to see uh an improvement and like, often tackles take that leap in the second year right right so uh just to emphasize the i've just seen a good number to emphasize the kind of run heavier nature of the offense in the uh, week 16 to 19 uh you've put here that their early down pass rate went from being the fifth highest in the league, but uh, week 16 to 19, it was uh, 20th in the league. So they, they started trying to run the ball more and and trying to establish the run, if you like, because they needed it. Um, they, they, they had every reason to. One, like we talked about it in this season like the run blocking was not good and they needed to get reps in like so like they went from because their gun running was pure like constraint oriented runs right like the early and middle parts of the season it was more like in gun we're going to be a pass team and then we're going to have these complementary runs to take advantage of bad fronts that we can check into and then as the season went on like their knee like okay we actually can't run the ball so we need to install like a base gun run and that's also what Walker was used to at MSU, right? So, like, they install, like, just straight up inside zone, like, going back to the basics. And then also injuries. And then the protection was so poor. Like, they had every reason to commit to the run. And sure enough, it actually, they got better at it marginally. They had some really good games, though, right? Um, and Walker needed it. Like, Walker needed those reps, not just for this year, but, like, for his rookie contract's sake, you know, um, for the duration of his rookie contract. So, yeah and i think you know the turnover uh worthy play thing is is interesting like over the uh final eight games of the season uh you know through seven inceptions which is fifth most in the nfl and pro football focus had him throwing a league worst 17 uh turnover worthy throws suggesting that that number could have been higher now in the top 10 of quarterbacks passing, 80.6% of their turnover-worthy plays result in actual turnovers. But in Geno Smith's case, only 48% of his turnover-worthy plays actually resulted in interception, suggesting, again, that he got lucky. How do you feel about that as a metric? Because I think throughout the season, we saw turnover-worthy plays from Geno, but I felt most of them were maybe a bit too close than you'd like but most of them were him trying to he wasn't trying to you never try and throw a pick but it wasn't necessarily a bad decision it was actually a good decision to try and get out of uh uh pressure you know throw the ball away get rid of a dead play uh i and then tight window throws i felt were really good tight window throws i felt he had the arm to make that happen he'd read the played right it was a good decision um there was like one or two from poor pressing but I, I probably, in my opinion, 
with turnover-worthy plays, would disagree with some of the ones that have been charted as turnover-worthy. I also think Gina has a style and a history that lead, you know, uh, it could lead to some unavoidable like biases in 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 grading that say compared to like a, a quarterback who you've seen for years make the right decisions like i felt his decision making again when we talk about process i feel in this area too it was good but drift that is still noteworthy the, the 40 yeah. like how do you feel about it as a as a metric overall uh, i mean it is a it is a it is inherently subjective but I'm, you know, you'd hope that the, the people that are measuring that are are trying to be consistent in how they're applying their subjectivity, right, to each each and every quarterback. Um, but so I mean, like the, the 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 like taking it at face value, it's the 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 percentage of turnover worthy throws does increase significantly the last five six weeks of the season. Um, but then, like it's it's he's like dead average the first 13 weeks so to me it's like the, the, the they, proof of what you've been talking about right right like i feel like it's just it's yeah like you're going to get into that world with gino when the picture around him breaks down that much but if the picture breaks down around him that much you're not going to have a good offense anyway so yeah like limit how bad it is sure but to me it's like the, those turnover worthy throws very few of them occurred in the pocket and he tries to get everything he can out of the pocket before he bails like the, the sack rate increased um now on early downs it was just sack rate was like top five in the league for the first 13 weeks of the season and then even on early downs that 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 last stretch he's still middle of the pack so like like his his quarterback behavior changes on third down because that's when you know he won't abort like he won't on, on on third downs he won't abort he's like okay well our last chance i'm going to try to make something happen if something isn't there but very f rarely were his sacks him turning down something downfield it was the alternative is okay maybe throw it away or maybe take off differently if you're trying to extend with your legs right but it's not like he's leaving offense on the table um it's more like how do you how do you mitigate and manage how negative this play is about to be you know um and again that's that's when we when we talk about gino's process remaining intact right this is exactly the sort of stuff we mean like right right i mean yeah it's it's um i really i've said it like three times but i really feel like that first 49ers game is just kind of like the the proof of this because that again that occurred right after the broncos game and occurred right before was it the falcons game where he was really good in both of those games and gino didn't change the rest was just an environment that he can access his skills in um, and the rest follows. So, but yeah, so yeah, did he get lucky? I'm sure he did, but I feel like, I feel like a lot of those throws are either they're, they're not turnover worthy throws. A lot of them, they're definitely pass breakup worthy throws. Like, yeah, we were saying like, at the time if, of them, like in a vacuum, like in a one play sample, we were saying like it's a you know it's a it's a risk you can take because you've made it you've anticipated it at the right time you you know you've thrown it hard enough you've done it when the defender's back turned like you'd if it was picked you'd almost be like well that's almost unfortunate an insane an insane play by the defender a lot right. of them now it's in that Gino's a he's a gunslinger he's but he's a gunslinger that isn't doing stupid stuff though like he knows what he's looking at there are a couple of them where 
he kind of throws almost with too much trust in the receiver or he's a, he's a, a tick late. But again, like most of these are coming out of the pocket and if not out of the pocket, out of structure. So to me, it's, it's, it's allow the structure to be workable enough because Gino can still overcome bad structure. You just can't overcome near inoperable structure. Some quarterbacks can. So I'm not saying like there aren't quarterbacks that exist. Like that's why he's not the best quarterback in the league. You know, there's a handful of guys you're going to take over him, of course. And that's why, because they can do that. But you can still, again, it's a team sport. They already have put on paper that they have the capacity. Gino himself has the capacity to be part of a top five offense, to, to be the quarterback of a top five offense. Everything else is around him. You can't say that about, you know, X amount of QBs, right? There's only a few... Like you can be a the eighth best quarterback in the league and be the quarterback for the third best offense in the league, right? For example, to to prove a point, right? Like that's possible. Like Gino, like Geno Smith is better than Jared Goff, and Jared Goff was on the second best offense in football, if not the first best offense. First, first. So like that's right there. Um, you you take you would have taken fourteen quarterbacks over Jared Goff that year in all likelihood. Um. So, yeah. So it has been pointed out by Nuke USC. That is not a very Pete Carroll username, uh, but it's a good point. Gino uh, did have nine fumbles, including that playoff game. And the playoff game, was, as I mentioned, that was a kind of a crucial moment. I was in Munich when he bizarrely fumbled on a fairly similar play to the, the playoff game. It was like uh, confusion over kind of a run play in the red zone. Big moments where you don't want to cough the football up. I think the fumble thing is the the big thing I'd uh, ding at him for and what needs to be better. But there's some of this stuff, I, and I think the fumble thing is one thing. Fumbles are kind of random. Uh, there's stuff you can do to protect yourself against them. I don't think Gina has a, necessarily a mechanical issue. He doesn't have tiny hands. Like, it's not, it's not that. But because it's a one-season sample size, you know, who's to say next year he doesn't fumble the ball a single time? Like, we just don't know, like until <laughs> it wasn't a problem at West Virginia. So, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, just how about you just don't call stick draw? We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, don't call stick draw. There we go. Um, although, you know, you could because Gino is quite. No, I, I love, I love that yeah, play yeah, actually. Yeah. It's, it's great play. for them. I just, so like, just don't fumble the ball. Yeah, but yeah, you, you are correct. New USC. Uh, so. Sort of the last thing on Gino is, uh, uh, you know, sack percentage. You mentioned that in weeks one to thirteen, it, he was it was fifteenth in sack percentage. Weeks fourteen to eighteen, he was seventh. Which um, sacks are largely a quarterback stat, but I do think this is kind of a. I again should have gone into it a bit more, but I think that's more a case of longer third downs. And trying to make stuff happen in those instances, as we kind of spoke about. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I agree. Now, the other thing, average throw depth. Weeks 1 to 13, the average throw depth was uh, 23rd. So not, not chucking the ball down the field. Weeks 14 to 18, Gino was 13th in average throw depth. So that went up, which is interesting. And again, how much of that is trying to make stuff happen in in longer situations is a an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I think also DK, Metcalf, you sort of have to try and find ways to get him the football and vertically is the option there. Um, Yeah, that's an interesting one. And what that actual true number is, I'm not so sure. Because as I've just said, like the rates of coverage they faced didn't really change. And Gino's like performances against it didn't really change much either. So, yeah. Also, I wonder um, how much that middle of the field close figure is a function of third down versus early down. Yeah, that's that's um, what I'd like to look at. Yeah. Yeah, like like well, what are the early down versus third down splits versus cover three and cover one? It would be something to be interested in looking at. Well, I remember, and then, and then also with a four man rush versus a five man rush, six man rush. You know. Yeah. Because that could um, just be like a function of like of like blitz numbers, you know. Oh, definitely, yeah. Which and is then, which can be a quarterback thing, can also be a team thing. Yeah, yeah. So finally, uh, accuracy wise, uh, Sports Info Solutions have a catchable percentage and an on-target percentage. Again, there's an element of subjectiveness to that. Weeks 1 to 13, they had Gino's second and catchable percentage out of 38 eligible quarterbacks. So I did a minimum of 100 throws. And first in on-target percentage. Yet in weeks 14 to 18, Gino was 20th in SIS's catchable percentage out of uh, 27 eligible quarterbacks, minimum of 75 uh, throws. And just 23rd in on-target percentage. Now, did you see his accuracy noticeably dip? Um, when he was throwing on platform, really no. Uh, the, yeah. the, the Panthers game maybe, uh, but like even even that uh, that Rams game, the second Rams game, when he was on platform, I mean, he was doing what he always did. Uh, there weren't a lot of opportunities there, but like that Jets game with some of the ball placement he made was insane, like insane stuff. Um, the the Chiefs game, he was he had some good throws. So I mean, like I I just didn't see like him. I didn't see what made Gino Gino like fall apart. It was just he can't manage some situations, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a good sign that like the arm was still there during that stretch when it when it was um, when there was room to make a good play, you know. Yeah, I felt, I don't know, I, I I need to go back and watch, but I felt a big thing that happened, like, 
you remember that Jets game where they go uh, three for 11 on third down. Obviously, the Jets kicked uh, Seattle's butt up front uh, in the run and the pass game. But I felt that game was a case of like receivers just not getting it done, like guys not making catches that they should. And also, guys like not completing their routes. Like Dallas ran a weird route. I feel, you know, even that's obviously a quarterback metric and catchable percentage on target percentage. Maybe if guys were running the wrong routes, perhaps not. But like, I also feel, you know, as we spoke about receiver injuries, receiver regression, um, that, you know, that's a factor as well, which shouldn't be underplayed. But, and yeah, it's got to be, that's got to be off platform stuff, more trying to make things happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, like yeah. like the whole thing with Gino is you want him creating, you want him having to create late in the snap because that means he's probably in more control. If he's creating early, he probably, it's it's that's where that's where he gets into the realm of something bad can happen. Right. Think about but, all of his uh, impressive improvisation plays early in the season. They are, he's had a pocket, you know, for every reason the play's not there, but then he's like moving a, up like a and knows where scramble. he's going. Yeah. 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 Like, like run and pass. Right. Like it's, it's, I mean, he's, he's a, when, when the situation is manageable, he's a very good improviser and he doesn't do too much. Um, Like that second 49ers game though, he found like early pressure frequently. And so then like, yeah, okay. You don't fault him for that, but then you can fault him for the decision he makes thereafter. It's like, why are you still playing with the same process? Like you can make every throw. Like it's not a bad decision and that you're reading the defense wrong. It's a bad decision and that you can't think you can get that throw off right there. You know, so how do you manage that situation? Now, can he get innately better at that? Maybe, but I would just more like to preempt the circumstances where he might go into that that, that line of play. You know, that's where, I mean, really the rookies just going from year one to year two might be enough to do it, but that's where you, you know, we'll talk about it. That's where you can improve you know one or both center right guard spots you know yeah so conceptually griff this was a pretty different offense to what we saw with russell wilson which is to be you know they're completely different players so it makes sense uh and you you've highlighted a drop back type as a way of illustrating that I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing that stands out now is that they have a more beefed-up drop-back game. Um, it's kind of like their meat and potatoes. So their their quick game usage got um, like cut down by like a third, and then they replaced that with more five-step drop concepts. So from gun, the quarterback's taking only three steps. But a, a gun three drop is a five-step drop because that's analogous to taking five drops from the under center. And then, like, you know, if quick game is three-step historically, that's three steps from under center. But from gun, it's like a one-step drop kind of. Um, but, yeah, so they had more more deeper drop meat and potato of their offense. Um, and, like, the, the general nature of it was kind of si- started off anyway, similar to the McVeigh Rams where, you know, they spend roughly 40% of their total snaps in gun. And they're passing the ball at an extremely high rate. 
in shotgun. And then when they go into under center, um, you know, it's all just, it's either outside zone or outside or wide zone or wide zone action, play action pass, right? Pocket or boot. Um, and that's kind of like the general beats that Waldron had. Like that was the main structure, but they were a little bit different in that they, um, well, there were two main differences. They, they were more of a normal split team. They didn't use tight splits as much. And that followed from not having like, instead of having like three locket types, they really only had one locket type. And they wanted to, have, they thought maybe they had it in Eskridge, um, but they clearly didn't. And then, because he got hurt. And then Goodwin being a veteran, like you're not leaning all the way into that. So they had to more accommodate DK as a result of that. Um, lean more into making him work formationally with the offense. So the splits was a, was a big thing. And then that matters because then from that follows like the menu of plays. Um, still Waldron, still McVeigh-ish, but definitely different. But then the other main difference aside from splits was that um, the use of pistol. So that was where, you know, pistol when they're the quarterbacks in shotgun, but then the running backs behind him. Because of that, you're liable to run wide zone from that from that um, formation or backfield set. So if you do that, the defenses know that, then you're able to run essentially, you know, outside zone play action or under center play action concepts from shotgun. Um, but then from there, and we talked about this over the course of the season, if you catch the defense in a personnel package and a call that seems suited for defending outside zone and outside zone play action or wide zone wide zone play action passes then that means because by virtue of being a shotgun you can you can either check into a play or just call a different play that is more of like your true drop back shotgun pass so the way i characterize waldron for the whole course of the season was like the, the cool stuff he did weren't necessarily plays like cool play design so much as it was manipulating personnel packages manipulating the defense and then having the balance to run almost anything you what you do run whenever you want so like becoming tendency proof and being incredibly balanced like getting picking up almost free yards just by alignment really when when the play design isn't anything novel you know do you think he ran out of ideas like that and do you think that's why the offense uh started to struggle you know, I, I think so. Like the main problem with their 11 personnel was that, yeah, you've got two guys that are target sponges and really good, but they're very specific skill sets because like Lockett didn't want to take hits anymore. So you couldn't run as much over the middle stuff with him. And then DK is should pretty much only be a perimeter guy, right? He got better at some things, but like you can't. He's not Robert Woods. He's not Cooper Cup. He's not Brandon Cooks. He's not even Sammy Watkins in terms of style, right? So, and I mentioned all, all those guys are Rams receivers, obviously. So the fact that they didn't have the third guy in their 11 personnel package that could kind of marry DK and Tyler a little bit meant that Aldrin was kind of, I mean, he's fantastic again that he had DK and Tyler, but he couldn't quite conceptually do the things that he wanted like you know under center tight split you'd like to have someone be interchangeable with locket so that anyone could be running the inbreaker anyone then could be running the outbreaker you can run the same play but reverse it and the formation could be identical you know and the defense doesn't know who's coming from where so that whole like you know 
that multiplying factor you have of the defense not knowing, like you might know what the play is, but you don't know who's running what. Like he didn't have that factor element to his defense. That was because he didn't really have the locket mirror. So then that meant, okay, to offset, he kind of he kind of recreated that through his 12 personnel usage. Um, and that was the only way he could reduce the formation down. That was also like he ran. So like he ran like that play action wide shot shallow, right? He ran that like seven, eight times this year. That effectively, like like when D- when Gino hit those those quick hitting play action crossers to Fan or Disley, I think one time to Colby, that effectively replaced their strike play, their drift play, the, the play action yeah. dig to the receiver. Yeah. That w- linebacker or, or outside a linebacker, yeah. Right. And it's still a good play, but like your that goes for eight to ten yards. Whereas the X, the the hitting it to the X or the Z and a true speed cut dig can be a minimum of twelve. And if you catch that thing in stride, you might be gone. Like the amount of times Cooper Cup or Robert Woods caught that ball and got another ten yards of yak was, you know, you're just you're 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 gashing the the defense up the middle like that. So he couldn't really do that the way he wanted to. And mm-hmm. I thought he did a great job of using 12 personnel, especially on the boot game and 13 personnel. But I feel like he's wanting, I feel like he wants another locket, which you can get this draft or close enough to where like the usage is similar. Similar skill set, yeah. Right. I mean, and maybe not even the way that Lockett's been historically used, but you can imagine peak Lockett in the Rams offense just doing pure cup wood stuff, right? Like he could have done that. Like you wouldn't see as many big posts, as many big overs, but you know, a lot, well, maybe the overs, but more digs, more, more outs, stuff like that. Um, but like Lockett has been more of a big game hunter the way they've used him, but you can imagine Lockett could have been used that way. And my hunch is that if they had peak Brandon Cooks or peak Robert Woods, they would have used Lockett more in that direction because it pulls Lockett into the formation more. It pulls him into those plays more because you can run, you can get into that interchangeability. Um, so it's kind of like they don't just need that third target for that player's individual production, but there's like a systemic effect of how they would structure their offense entirely. And I and Waldron couldn't really get into that. So he got way more vertical in part because, not because he had to, because he got to, because Gino can actually go go yard and you have dk metcalf and tyler lockett can go yard so um yeah and again that's that's the average throw depth increasing uh as the year progressed mm -hmm. uh and you know you know the reliance on 12 personnel then when will disky gets hurt misses 16 17 18 misses two games two games anyway when he gets hurt, that's a problem because as much as you love your 12 personnel looks, Colby Parkinson ain't as good a blocker as Will Disley, and Fant is fine, but you sort of lose the versatility that you had in the package. Uh, right. Right. So, I, I, uh, go ahead. No, continue. I was just going to say, I hope they don't abandon Pistol. I hope it be hope it remains a feature and they did kind of abandon it over the course of the season. Like it was, it was anywhere between 10 and 25% of their snaps on early downs. The first, you know, when it died was probably like a week, 11 or 12. Um, But then it would come back for a couple of games, but then they pretty much ditched it uh, the last four weeks of the season. I think that was just, you know, injuries breaking the camel's back like they kind of had to do other things um 
So I asked but, uh, I asked Dino about that in Germany. Yeah. He he said he literally said it it um lets us hide some of our run plays and pass plays. Yeah. <laughs> gives us different um, which gives is us it. different options. Which is it. Yeah, it's it, it's a confluence of um and then he mentioned how rather than gun where the the backs offset pistol which in the dot so that it hides that as well. Yep. Yeah, but um yeah, I guess they just ran out of bullets and, and they do need that guy who can go over the middle. Like and and so in that sense yeah. was Fant slightly disappointing because obviously he tested and plays incredibly athletically, but you know, when they dialed stuff up for him, it just didn't hit for a variety of reasons. He's got all the traits, he just doesn't have the skill set. Like he's not I a mean, player. He's yeah, I mean he's he's a I think he is a very good tight end two to have. And the scheme needs a second tight end that is electric, but really like ideally ideally like they could just swap out Disley for an elite wide tight end and that would be sick. You know, like, and that could be, that could just, they could recommit to the whole, like, you know, the 11 personnel usage would remain the same. The 12 personnel usage would remain the same, but the 12 personnel would just be better and you could do more things in it um, and spend the same amount of time in it and just let Noah Fant be your, you know, your Johnu Smith, your, your, your Gerald Everett guy, you know, where it's, it's yards after the catch. You can do occasional things with him downfield, but like, getting a wide tight end there who can just win routes at the intermediate, the second level, like in the drop back game and under center, you know, like you can just um, like he effectively be your, your, your de facto slot receiver. They could go that direction if they want. Like this is the draft where they can go get their third guy that is capable of handling a hundred targets efficiently. They could get that guy at the tight end position. That would mean Waldron would be doing things he hasn't really done yet before. Like he already has never done this exactly identically before the, the way he used 12 personnel. I mean, maybe he was part of one of those Patriots teams that did, right? Um, like going way back when he was with the Patriots and he was just an assistant, like a quality control assistant, like not even like working with the position group. So, I mean, and like, you know, it's still fairly universal football stuff. It's not like he's never seen it before, um, but like, you know, worked with it this much, like, if they want to go get whoever you like, Mayor, Musgrave, Kincaid even, to go be the guy that as a rookie gets you 80 targets and then year two, year three is looking at 100 plus targets, you know, and, and to do that out of the tight end position, they can. Um, and that could be pretty exciting. Like Gino loves throwing to tight ends. Like some of his best plays, even going back to the Jets, were to like no-name tight ends, like guys you've never heard of, but he just loves the position. He likes throwing that's what's so funny he he loves going over the middle like that's and arguably and they still went over the middle more this year than they ever have except yep, with the exception that, of jimmy graham but because jimmy's jimmy right no but that's a big thing to like to talk about the fact that right targets inside the numbers were so much higher like we it became a meme that russ wouldn't throw like a dig route or wouldn't throw inside the numbers but like gina really did prove that a point that like yeah, you can. That is a possible thing, and when you're playing quarterback in Seahawks blue, like, <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's a pretty comprehensive roundup. The fact that you know there were concepts which, 
you know, actual digs on the backside of stuff and like uh, levels in that in that way. Um, oh yeah, you've put about that. You've, uh, yeah, yeah, you've put that in the notes. Very good. Yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Say something. Well, an another feature of the offense that is new is that like even when they do run quick game, like they run less of it, right? But when they do run quick game, they've attached like the ability to access the second level with it, which is always yeah. big. Like when they go three by two empty, three receivers on one side, two receivers on the back side, the front side will be like stick or spacing, something like that. But then the back side will be like the little attached dig routes, like a high low, uh, like the number two receiver will run a hitch. The number one receiver will run a tight or a dig route, or they'll run like a, a cross followed by like a dig route or like a cross followed by like a little five yard in, or they'll run like a, like a double dig or kind of almost like a dagger almost. Um, and like he's hitting those. And even, even if he isn't hitting it, he's progressing to it. And the receiver wasn't open like on some of those. And that's, but like, that's another thing to identify and be like, there's so much more meat on the bone here that if they do get that third guy and each side of the formation has a dude, like Gino will absolutely take full advantage of, of it. It's just sometimes it wasn't there. Like, as good as Marquise Goodwin was, like everyone really appreciated Goodwin this year when he played. He's still not that guy. Like even at his best, he's not that guy. There's occasional like backside digs, three by two empty. They're running like stick and then dig on the backside. And Gino's getting to the backside of it. And it's like to the field. And and that dig isn't there. But Gino wants to throw it. He wants to throw it, but it's not there. So, like, you, you you insert in someone that knows what they're doing even, in Marquis Goodwin's spot, Brandon Cooks. And, like, who knows, man? Who knows? Even uh, Kate Johnson, when he got some action, like, Gino's – and it's do or die time. Gino's trying to find him in these kind of windows. Uh, and, obviously, yeah. Kate doesn't yeah. know what he's doing out there, yeah. really. But, like, you see the yeah. potential of, you know, if someone did know what they're doing. Um, yeah. Like a tertiary, I mean, if, a true tertiary target. Yeah, if Tariq Young wants to turn into Debo Samuel, you can go run all that stuff with him. Um, could happen. Crazier things have happened. There you this, go. So yeah, yeah, come combine, I'll be looking at uh, guys who are five foot ten, hundred ninety pounds, and ran like a six seven, six six three cone. <laughs> six five maybe although the three cone seems to have died in recent years like yeah do it what was uh because they know that can if you don't run a three cone i'll just assume you you wouldn't have ran a good one so true and and, and john schneider griff has a new radio show on thursdays on seattle sports wyman and bob wyman and bob and uh, he said how when he was with the Packers, uh, he had got them a seventh-round pick via trade of someone, and he asked Ted Thompson if he could pick that seventh-rounder, and Ted Thompson was like, yes, yes. And then he said to Ted Thompson that he wanted to draft Julian Edelman, and Thompson said, nah, I was just kidding with you, man. We're not going to let you pick a guy. Uh, and so they took Brad Jones. But uh, Doug Baldwin is like a really similar athletic profile to Julian Edelman. Yeah. And so then, so basically we do need to find that kind of player. Right, right. And and John is always looking for his next devalued, undervalued slot receiver. Right. 
Like I mean, a sewer, but he was 178 pounds and yeah. he hurt his hamstring in the first 40 yard dash. And he unfortunately got unlucky of injuries during his NFL career. And I think we know that John secretly, he'd never say it, but he's secretly hoping Cade is that too. Um, and like he's, he's name dropped him a couple of times too. Like he, he's trying to manifest without overhyping him. He's, he's hyped up Tariq Young as well. Yeah. He's a bit bigger, but yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing which came out of that interview, Griff, is Schneider said, we've had good talks so far on the Geno Smith contract negotiations. He said, we're in it, just trying to figure out what's best. We will do what's right. He kind of added that we will do what's right in at the end and he's rambling. So, I mean, to me, again, it's another sign that Geno will be a Seahawks quarterback, whatever, will just, you know, it's sort of like, you know, just trying to figure out what's best to me. That's, you know, Gino's seeing what he's worth elsewhere. They'll get the numbers right, so he's respectful, and they'll make it happen in whatever way. There's ways of structuring things. You know, where, where do you put the guarantees? How do you make this person happy? Et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, yeah, uh, par for the course so far, it sounds like it'll get done. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, I mean... On that note, then the natural question is: Are would they even touch quarterback in the first round? I can't see that. Well, we have we have quarterbacks to talk about next week. We'll do uh, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson chatter, and we could we could do quarterbacks next week. Do you want to do that, or do yeah. you want to do the special teams review? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, special teams. Yeah. Um, wait, did did Van Dyke declare? Van Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke. Is he going back? I don't even know. I don't think he declared. Okay. Because he, he was the only guy that I could imagine will even that they would be into that would make it to the second or third round where they'd start to think about taking a quarterback after having paid Gino. Uh I I thought he was really young. I thought he was next year. Oh, is he? Okay. Then I don't even no, know. No, I could be wrong. Because, I, I like, known to be wrong. In a perfect world, Richardson... No, yeah, he, is, he could have declared, but he's returning. Yeah. Like, yeah. in a perfect world, Richardson should go, like, in the third round. And he'd be the guy that would be really funded. Like, I, you, you, you'd pay Gino and take Richardson in the third round, but the hype machine, he's going to go in the top half of the first at this rate. But, well, we did at one point think the same would happen with uh, Malik Willis, Desmond Ridder, and true. we certainly didn't true. expect... That guy, uh, Kenny Pickett, to be the first one off the board. So, right, right, yeah. So, so there the, is some hope that course backs will fall. And when it's Hendon Hooker, you'll like it. The thing is that he'll be fucking thirty years old by the time he actually plays a meaningful snap, and that's okay because so, he's so, thirty-one. So, but but with that, uh, with that, um that in mind though like that whole idea of like hey get a developmental guy like they'll just view lock as that which sure if he's a backup keep him in house for a while yeah uh but there is the question of if he will resign in seattle especially with uh dave canales getting uh hired to tampa bay and also lock saying uh greg bell who's obviously um connected with lock uh he said that uh, Locke told him he wants to play next year, so that sounds 
Less well, likely to overturn. Imagine if he said otherwise. No, I don't want to play. Nah. Yeah. Nah. I yeah. like I like uh, watching Gino and picking up a nice backup quarterback check. I yeah. mean Yeah. I can't imagine so like if if you're just in Drew Locke's shoes, given your career trajectory, Seattle is a really squishy, comfy situation because they love you, they're investing in you, you know, behind the scenes and stuff. Right. You'll right. still get like a chunk of change being a backup, nice million dollar contract. Yeah, like do you, you know, really go to Tampa Bay and yeah. like thrown to the wolves. Right, right. I mean you do have Mike Evans and uh and uh also, and uh are you prepared for what I'm about to say? Don't no, prepared. don't trade for anyone. <laughs> I heard from, from a little birdie that Oh, like, little I've, birdie. All the receivers are on the table in terms of moving them in Tampa Bay. It doesn't mean they want to move all of them, but they're willing. They want to move one of them, and they're willing right. to move any of them. Okay, that's cool. Mike, Mike is Mike Evans not the perfect junior receiver, and that reinforces the strength and and can mop up some of the weakness. I don't see how catch radius, baby. But that's not going to be the. That's not. That's not the Robert Woods type that you hope. I know. For. It's so I mean, can you imagine an offense with DK and Evans on <laughs> your your Yeah, uh, your... Evan they are very similar in usage, right? Yeah, yeah. You're you're like the uh the Chargers where they had Vincent Jackson and uh Malcolm oh. Malcolm Smith, where they just Philip Rivers was, was just awesome. doing nothing but North Turner, like, you know, seven step go balls Timing. all all yeah. game long. Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Um, and then, and, <laughs> and hey, who who who's probably Gino's? Uh, who does he model his game after the most? Probably in all likelihood, probably fucking Philip Rivers. <laughs> oh man, he when you hear Gino speak about Rivers, it's awesome. Yeah, Rivers was that guy. Yeah. Anyway, so Brandon Cooks for a third, or they cap cut Robert Woods. Yeah. You sign him for four okay. and a half million. We've been we've been talking long enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah, enough, enough. Uh, okay, we'll be back. We'll be we'll, we'll actually have draft stuff now. We've we've done the uh, we've done the recap. Check out the draft stuff we've done. We looked at senior bowl guys. Already, the the cool dudes are now talking about our senior bowl guys. Our guys, the Seattle overloads prospects, and. Yeah, now now we can look ahead. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, talk about that. Griff has dived very deep into them way earlier than me. We'll talk about quarterbacks. We'll talk about receivers. We'll talk about the combine. We'll talk about all of that good stuff. And free agency happens as well. There will be a Geno re-signing, we think, in Seattle. And if not, then it's complete carnage. So we've got that to look forward to. Right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. Like the video. Follow Griff on Twitter at CMikeSpinMe. Follow me at MattyFBrown. Follow the podcast at Seattle Overload. Hopefully I won't have a cold next time we record and my usual voice will be restored. If you're listening, five-star review, download the podcast. Do that anyway if you're, if you're watching now. We appreciate, we appreciate you. It's 3 a.m. Have a good night.